0: Hey, good morning, Grace Church family. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to take it right now and turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible with you and you would like to use a printed copy of the Bible, there's one in front of you in the pew. 941, I believe, is the page number. You know, if, if you're part of a family that sometimes is a little bit off, like my family, with me at the lead, with me at the lead, you have these odd moments in family life. And we, we tend to have a more than a lion's share of them. My wife looking, you're there too, honey. Don't look at me like that. You're like, it's not like I'm experiencing these by myself. But why did I even go down this road? Oh, it was because we had another one a couple weeks ago. And I think actually, it, it helps frame a little bit of our message. So we're a three-car family in a house that has two-car garage. That's a first-world problem, right? So I'm not pouring me in here. But so one of them sits outside, one of the cars. And one day my eldest daughter, Alexandria, is leaving. she's like, "Dad, the car won't start." And I'm like, "Uh-oh. So what, if, you're, if you're a father, what do you hear in your head, the cash register? right? That's what you're hearing. You're like, oh no, don't do this. So anyway, the car won't start, and I'm like, well, so maybe it needs a jump. So I, 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 we don't have any jumper cables, but my neighbor, by the grace of God, is a mechanic for American Airlines, and he brings this little jumper pack over, and we're going to hook it up. We're going to, because it's spitting out all sorts of weird codes and telling me, you know, I thought it was possessed. I tried to cast it out. Didn't work. So, So he's like, you know, man, there's enough juice in your battery, this thing should start. And he says, your problem isn't the battery. And I, we both stand in front of the, the now open hood. This is not a terribly old car. And what we had found is that some sort of animal, probably a mouse or a squirrel, had gotten in there and just eaten the wiring. And what I didn't understand at the time is now they're coating, they're putting the covers of the wires, have a soy-based thing. And and animals love that stuff. I hate it. Animals love it. So anyway, I, so we end up getting it taken to the dealership. And the, the, the guy at the dealer calls me, and he goes into this 45-minute, that's preacher um, exaggeration, 45-minute discussion on what exactly was wrong. It ate this, which affects this, which affects this. And actually, I, I started to get interested and I started doing a little research. And then as I sat there, I had to climb in, into the, in my mind under the hood. And I'm looking at all, how all these wires work and how it connects to this and does this and does this. And by me looking at the nuts and bolts of an engine, I was amazed at the beauty of an engine. Like, I can get in a car, push a button, which I hate. I missed a turnkey. But push a button and I could push a pedal, and the thing takes me wherever I want to go. Don't, don't get lost in that. We're not riding horses anymore. This is incredible. And so what happened was I started to appreciate all that went in there, the engineering, the assembling, um, the selling, the fixing, all of those things just revealed to me this, this, this beautiful, 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 beautiful plan and I saw the beauty of the plan when I had to dig into the actual nuts and bolts of the engine and find out what was wrong. And this, is, this passage today, and I think a passage we talked about a couple of weeks, is much like climbing into the engine and seeing the nuts and bolts of how things work. And my hope is, much like I had this beautiful appreciation of this engine and all that poured into it, I hope today... We get a more beautiful picture of the kingdom, of the gospel, of faith. Except in this case, the builder, the maker, the engineer are all the same person. It's the one true holy God. So today what we're going to do is we're going to pick up in chapter 4. Pastor Worley last week got us into chapter 4. Very well, if I may add. Kudos. I love that, brother. We're going to pick up in verse 13, and we're going to read through verse 25. And I'm praying, and I'm going to pray some more, but I'm praying that this just helps us stand in awe of the gospel of Christ, of the gospel entered into by grace through faith. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, says this. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, and faith is null and the promise is void, for the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness Some glorious, beautiful, eternal truths spoken by Paul to the church in Rome, spoken to us, your children, even today in Warrenville, Illinois in 2023. And I pray, Father, that as we climb under the hood here a little bit, as we we seek just to understand the nature of the faith that saves the the nature of the faith that gets us counted righteous in your sight because of the merits and the person and the work of Jesus Christ, Father. I pray that we would just grow in our love for you and our trust in you. So, Father, help me now. Fill me with your spirit, Father, so I could preach your words. Help people to see through me and to you for your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So picking up in the middle of a, of a chapter always has some difficulties, some interesting portions. So I just, I'm going to, we're going to land. So the, so the runway is 413 through 25, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start while we're a little ways from the airport and approach. So, so where are we other than in Warrenville, Illinois? So we are in a letter Paul wrote to the church in Rome, late 50s. It's a church that he longs to go to. He's eager to go there. It's a church that he wants to go in part because he's under obligation to preach to the Greeks, to the barbarians. And he wants to bring this good news of Jesus Christ to Rome. He wants to preach this good news, this gospel, because this gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We, those of us in Christ, have experienced that transforming power of the gospel. Nobody is beyond God's saving reach because of the power of the gospel It changes people. It changes hearts. It's changed nations. And this gospel also reveals the righteousness of God that is available to all who simply believe the message. Simply believe the message. This gospel is needed, as Paul goes on, because of man's unrighteousness. Taking the clearly evident God who reveals himself in the creation and rejecting him because they want to be the God, not him. And they choose other things. They try to live their lives as though God doesn't exist. And God, as an expression of his wrath, allows them to go and do that. He takes his hand of restraining grace off a revelation of God's wrath and a roadmap of destruction for pagan nations. But lest the Jews start saying ah, ha, ha, silly pagan tricks are for kids. Chapter two, he turns to the Jews and he says, You don't escape the sin problem, you see. Sure, you were marked out as God's people, possessors of the law, marked out by circumcision. But the same problem rests on you, and that is sin, the desire to be the God, a feeling of self-righteousness, like I'm good because look at what I do. And that same problem requires the same solution, the gospel of Christ the Messiah. Then in, in chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, we go under the hood And we start to see the nuts and bolts of what this gospel, how this gospel saves in all of its glory. And in it, it is revealed that salvation is all of God. It is God who provides the Messiah, God the Son incarnate. It is God who provides a second Adam to undo the disaster of the first Adam into which we're all born in. It is God who allows Christ, Messiah, and second Adam to absorb his wrath for sinners. It is God who allows the perfect righteousness of the Son to be given to rebels who believe in the Son. Counted righteous. It is all of God. Simply entered into by believing, by believing, not doing, by believing, not doing, and that is really good news. This is really hard for human beings because we have something in us. We talked about this first hour in ABF. There's something in us that wants to do. We want to have part of it. Ultimately, it's so that we can boast in what we've done. But our boast must only be in God. This would be especially hard or seem odd to the Jews, people who were used to doing. They were used to being a righteous people in their minds above all of the other nations because of what they did. They circumcised. In their minds, they kept the law. They did They counted themselves proud children of Abraham. So what does Paul do in Romans chapter four? He goes there. He goes there. He brings up the venerated name of Abraham, the father of the nations. And in last week's passage, there was a simple question posed. When it came to Abraham... What came first? What came first? The fact that he was counted righteous before God or that he was circumcised. And, and to a Jew who thought himself law-keeping and thought himself as righteous because, yeah, I'm circumcised, they would have simply defaulted to, well, because he was circumcised. He did that. And because he did that, he was righteous what Paul does is he wants to he wants to correct that and switch that around he says no 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 he was counted righteous before he was circumcised belief faith came before the doing actually the doing is a result of the faith that's a major thing for a Jew to hear So see how Paul goes after the I'm righteous by doing. And now we come to today's passage. Now we're landing on the runway. Three things I want to get from this message. And it may match up with this. Uh, I think it's pretty, it's pretty close to this outline in your bulletin. I, 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 was, telling, I was telling Nick and Brooks, I, I had my message pretty much written on Friday. Probably 80% written. I don't manuscript, so it's just kind of, yeah. And, and I, I, uh, I, got to my, I got to my computer at 10.30 in the morning yesterday, and I erased the whole thing, purposely, purposely. Um, it just felt like there wasn't any power in that. And so the reconstruction may match the bullets and may not, But let me get my water just in case it doesn't. Things get a little hairy up here. Here's three things I'm after. I want God to knock us out with this passage. Man, I want us to sing louder than before in response to this passage. Because we're so in love and we love and we trust and we obey and we're just in awe of our God. And therefore we enter into this worship that's truly pleasing to him. First thing I want to get out of this is number 1 I want I want us I want us to get that Abraham's inheritance and therefore our inheritance connect those is not gotten by doing something but simply by believing Second thing I want to get out is I want to I want to look I want to go under the hood A couple weeks ago, we went under the hood about how how does the gospel work? How does forgiveness work? How does Christ get us forgiven and and declared righteous and God remaining holy? We went under the hood. Today, I want to go under the hood and look at Abraham's faith. Look at the nuts and bolts. Look at the wiring eaten by mice. Lastly, we want to realize that this faith that gets Abraham counted as righteous wasn't just for Abraham. It's for all who will repent and believe the gospel. So at first part, Abraham's inheritance, and therefore our inheritance, is not gotten by doing something, but simply by believing. Look at, in verse 13, we see this pretty clearly. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. So the word the is a provided word, so it literally says did not come through law. Could mean the Mosaic law. Could mean the law of, that, that the works of which all men have written on their hearts, Romans chapter 2. Could mean a self-designed law that we come up with to make us good. Whatever it is, righteousness does not come through that but it comes through the righteousness of faith. Law-keeping, and remember, keeping means that you're doing. There's our word. There's our bad word, is doing. Sometimes we boo when we hear about the Pharisees, we want to boo when we think of doing as a way of getting right with God. Law-keeping is the enemy of faith and promise. Now, law keep. The law rather has a purpose, and the law points us to the need for Jesus. The law exposes all of our ugliness. It's like a mirror where you've almost got like runway lights shining in, where you see every nook and cranny, every blemish that's on this big old ugly face right here. That's what the law does. How were we made beautiful? How were the imperfect made perfect in God's sight? It's simply by faith. It's not by law. It's not by circumcision. Those are doings. They have a role. They're supposed to be an expression. But they're not the thing that gets us right. They're supposed to be an expression of having been made right. Chapter 4, verse 5 says this. This is such a beautiful, boy, when you, I, I love when we go through Romans just picking out one verse. And there's actually three verses in Romans 4 that I've been, I've been just trying to knit to my heart. Verse 5 is one of them. And to the one who does not work, does not do, and to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? Welcome, brothers and sisters. That's us. To that who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteous. So faith is placed in the Messiah. In Abraham's case, it was the coming Messiah, the coming seed. Sometimes people don't quite understand that Abram counted righteous, still needed a full and final sacrifice for his sins and that would come through Christ because it's through Christ alone but his faith in what God had said and revealed in his promises got him counted righteous and allowed Messiah's sacrifice to atone for even his sin and when what Messiah does not only does Messiah Christ Jesus Get us forgiven of our sin, not only does it get us counted righteous in God's sight, it also brings us into Christ. Into Christ. Faith places us in the Messiah, and Messiah gets it all. Jesus Christ. Is the one who is the king of kings and the lord of lords Jesus Christ has been given the inheritance of all things from the father and those of us who are brought into Jesus by faith are co-heirs of all of those things even Abraham understood God's promises had an immediate fulfillment that was coming, but man, was there something bigger than this. Hebrews 9, 10 and 11. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking to the city that has Foundations whose designer and builder is God. So even Abram, Abraham said, my, my inheritance, it's it's this land and its seed, yeah, but there's something greater coming. Something God is gonna rebuild. The new heavens and the new earth. And his inheritance is part of the inheritance of Messiah, because he's in Messiah by faith. And Paul says that all of that in verse 16 has to depend on faith so that the promise may rest on grace. God gets all of the glory for this. He is not in the business of sharing his glory with anybody. God's plan, God's promises rest on the goodness of him giving those things to those who are undeserving. That's you and me. That's called grace. And when things are given to us by grace as being undeserved, only one person gets the glory in that. And that's the one who gives the gift. The grace giver. Not what the undeserving try to do to become more deserving. Works Law keeping in terms of salvation is an enemy of grace. And then, and then he says, in, keep it on in 16, in 16 into 17 eventually, but 16, and since God is the one granting the promise, granting the righteousness, those things are fully guaranteed. If it were based, yeah, how many times have you all heard the The old saying that if I could lose my salvation, I'd lose it tonight. I'd lose it by the end of this sermon. But because salvation is a gift of God's grace given to us by those who have believed, who have been counted righteous by God, it's all of God, it's guaranteed. So even in our darkest moments, we could rest in the fact that God is not going anywhere. That is part of the mindset behind the the teaching of election. These are people who are going through it. And in their minds, there has to be the mindset, like, man, I'm getting beat down, I'm getting persecuted, people I love are being thrown in jail, I'm losing my job, I'm getting kicked out of synagogue, all this stuff's happening. Is God going to abandon me? And what the writers of scripture say, God through the writer says, No. Because God before God created the heavens and the earth, he chose you. He ain't going anywhere. That's what grace does, it guarantees. And this, this grace, gracious guarantee is for both Jews and Gentiles. This gracious guarantee is both for circumcised and uncircumcised. Paul keeps hammering this righteousness, this salvation, this rescue is only by faith. And it always has been by faith. Look at Abraham. That's what he's trying to drill in. This is not a new, this isn't a new expression of kingdom. It's always been by faith. Brings us to the second point in verses 17 through 22. This shows us the inner workings, the under the hood nuts and bolts of Abraham's faith which is a beautiful picture of God honoring, justifying faith. So Paul quotes the promise God made to Abraham in Genesis 17, also in 15. There's a lot. But I have made you the father of many nations. And he doesn't, here's the thing, notice the language, I have made you, it's done. But what's interesting, it's not like Abraham is sitting there hearing this, I have made you the father of nations. I know, yeah, which one of my 14 sons will it be? He didn't have any. He had none. And God speaks as though it's a done deal. Abraham believed God's promise. Complete trust complete trust without seeing, which is an expression, when we believe God's promises, his words, it's actually an expression of us believing him, who's ultimately, infinitely trustworthy and faithful. This is the God who gives life to the dead, verse 17 says, even a dead womb. This is the God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. He is a creating and a recreating God according to the good purpose of his will. And Abraham had every reason from a human perspective to not believe. If Abraham was one to hear promises and then let circumstances talk him out of those promises, it could have happened. I have made you the father of many nations. He says to somebody who Scripture declares is, has a body that was as good as dead, about 100 years old. I have made you the father of many nations, he says to someone whose wife's womb was in deadness. It's a more literal translation. He had every reason to doubt, but now we get to the beautiful, gleaming nuts and bolts of Abraham's faith. Drink this in. Verse twenty. So I talked about I talked about verse chapter four, verse five being one of those verses I've knit to my heart, but also, Chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Fully convinced Convinced that God was able to do. Is there a circumstance that can override what God has promised? The answer is no. God is able to do what he has said. Are there circumstances that try to talk us out of the fact that God is able to fulfill his promise in any circumstance? Absolutely there are. But Abraham wouldn't waver. That unwavering belief in what God has said and by extension, by extension, what God has done is what gets Abraham counted righteous. Third part. We want to ask God to help us see that this faith being counted as righteous connection is not just for abraham but it's for the whole world for those who believe in him so look at verse 3 but the or 23 but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. So Abraham's faith is intended by God to be a model for all people until Christ returns. It is a model not just in Abraham's time. It is not a model for Jews between Abraham and Christ, nor Jews after, only. It is a model for all people of all time, including us. This is not a new gospel. This is not a new expression of the kingdom of God. This is not a new expression of how one is forgiven and counted righteous. It's the same gospel. For those who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 23, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us, credited to us, imputed to us. Nothing we've done, given to us all of God from grace who believe in him. Him. The hymn is Who Raised Jesus from the Dead? Look what He did. Believe in the God who does. We can't do, God does. And look at what He did. He gave us Jesus, He sent His Son who was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. If you remember all the way back in chapter 1, verse 4, we find this description of Christ that he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. How? Great question by his resurrection from the dead. So God sends Christ to die and God sends Christ to be raised from the dead. And in that raising from the dead, he is declared to be the son of God, which means he has the power and he has the authority. Let me rewrite that. He is the only one with the power and is the only one with the authority to get our sins forgiven. He is the only one with the power and the authority to take on the devil and win. He is the only one with the power and the authority to take on death and win. And when he is raised from the dead, it's like a victory parade over those things. And if Christ triumphs over those things, that means us being made right with God, being declared righteous, is true. Because he has the power and authority to get us counted that way if we just believe in him. Powerful stuff. I got a little shake in the spine there. To be children of Abraham, to be children of Abraham. So remember, there's the, the Jews were relying on the fact that if you did a DNA test, if you did the family tree thing, and if they saw Abraham in there, they were righteous. God was fine with them. That was the mindset. But we remember it being told to the Jews, and do not claim we have Abraham as our father. That's not the cop-out. And what Paul says, oh, it's going to be the children of Abraham that inherit the promise. Don't you worry, but it has nothing to do with mailing in your swab and getting your DNA to see if Abraham's in there. It has to be, do you believe as Abraham believed? For if you do, you will be counted righteous as Abraham was counted righteous. To be children of Abraham, we must trust and not waver in God and his promises. We must trust and not waver in that God. We must trust and not waver in that Christ. We must trust and not waver in that death that atones, that propitiates, that expiates. All those fancy words we love to use. Use it at lunch. We must not waver in that God and in that resurrection of Jesus Christ by which he declares, I have the power and authority to get your sins forgiven, to be declared righteousness, to defeat your enemies. It's only in me by faith. And by that faith... We truly become children of Abraham simply by being counted righteous by believing. I think that's what Paul's trying to get at in chapter 4. You don't back down. You know, if, if somebody said, well, yeah, no, I understand this, Jesus, but what about Abraham? He says, oh, yeah, Abraham. Abraham is a perfect illustration of what the kingdom's always been, right with God faith all right, what can we take away from this message what can we take away number one simply it's a question all of us all human be- all human beings believe that we are counted righteous every human being believes that So the question is, are you counted righteous before God by faith, like Abraham? So if you say, yes, I'm I'm counted righteous before God, I'm, I'm good in God's sight, I'm right with God, I'm right in his sight, is that because of your faith? Or do you yourself to be righteous before God, right before God, good with God, because you're hoping in law to make you right? Are you a doer? Do you have your own set of laws? If you witness to folks and you say, hey, look at like uh, talking about why Jesus had to come, you'll hear some people say, well, I don't need Jesus. And you'll say, well, why don't you need Jesus? They'll say, I'm good. I'm good. Okay? So, like, why are you good? And what you'll typically get in response is they've made up their own set of laws in their minds. And by those sets of laws, they're good. Literally. And what we find when we make up, and I was there, so I'm preaching into the, the mirror that's in the old house. Um... I used to think myself, I'm fine with God. Look it. Key to that is make up a law that excuses your sin. That's the key to the the self-made law. Key number two is to find someone who is horrifically unrighteous to the world and say you're not them. I'm not Saddam Hussein. That's kind of grown old. I need a new one. See me after service. You got suggestions. So we all have this thing inside of us that wants to say I'm good or I'm okay and by keeping that self-made law we determine that we're good, right, and forgiven by God. Or there could be another way to look at this. Yet another way. Are you so burdened by your sin in all that you've done wrong? So we make a mess out of our lives, don't we? We just do. We can look back and we, could, we, we can make a mess out of some of the most simple, beautiful things. And some folks adopt the mindset that this has been such a train wreck. I can't get out of this. I'm in such a deep pit. I, I can't get out of this pit. There's no ladder. I've, I've scraped. I've tried to dig into the walls. It's ripping my fingernails off. And I can't get out of this pit. I'm unsavable. Whichever one of those cases you may be, it never is based on what you do. It's always based on what Christ has done. And trusting in who Christ is and what he has done will get you out of that pit. It'll break you of the delusion of your self-made law that you supposedly keep. The standard is not your law. The standard is God's perfect righteousness and holiness. Trust that Christ died for you. Trust that Christ was raised for you. And enter into the blessings God has prepared from before the foundations of the world for all who believe, including our father Abraham. So that's first. Are you counted righteous before God? And if so, how? Number two, and I think this is it. For those of us in Christ by faith, let's, let's, let's ask God to give us and to give us people around us who help us have the faith of God Abraham, that is described in verses 20 and 21. We live our lives as Christians with some very particular, beautiful promises made to us by God, both for right now, here, right now, and in in technicolor to come. And as we live these lives, we are met with circumstances that challenge those promises. If this is truly the promise, how could this be? So think of Abram, Abraham. Father of many nations, no kids, old body, dead womb. Based on this, this can't be but Abraham never went there. No matter what is before us, brothers and sisters, and there's some folks here who are in the deep end of the pool. They're in the deep end of the pool. And if you ain't there now, a chance that you're gonna be there at some point. No matter what is before us, ask God to help you Be described this way from 20 and 21. Be described this way, never wavering. Never wavering. Yep, God said it. Growing strong in our faith. Growing strong in our faith and by doing that, giving glory to God. Showing that, God, I am confessing you're greater than this. And that gives them much glory. How about being described as someone who is fully convinced? Fully convinced. Not 80%, 90%, 99.9%, 100% convinced that God is able to do what he says he will do. God's promises are backed by God's person. The God who is absolutely and always faithful. The God who is powerful enough, who, who spoke the world into existence, who created where there was nothing, he is able to overcome any and every circumstance to keep his promises. So brothers and sisters, know those promises. Those are the anchor. Preach them to yourself. Trust them and cling to them clinging to Christ, the one who comes to secure all of those promises, fully convinced, fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised and nothing, nothing before me right now can talk me out of it. That's a God-glorifying, Abraham-like expression of faith. Let's pray together. I invite the musicians and the Helpers with the supper to step forward. Lord, oftentimes we pray, I believe, help my unbelief. Oftentimes, Father, we pray to help our unbelief. Oftentimes we pray to increase our faith. Father, may we be so aware of your promises. But even even one level up, Father, may we be so aware at what it is and who it is that assures those promises for us. Christ, raised from the dead. Father, that we don't waver. We remain fully convinced. So, Father, as we come together now to celebrate this supper, again, nothing nothing new as as the circumcised would come to the Passover. Father, now we come, and we come and celebrate. We remember, we proclaim the one who came to die and be raised so that we may be forgiven and we may be counted righteous simply by believing Him. And we pray these things in Christ's name.